It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. You're locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Jared Dubin, who does Locked on Knicks, and I wanted to do a crossover episode for an unusual, for many different reasons, Sunday game between the Warriors and Knicks. The Warriors won 112-105, and we talk about the game, we talk about the the kind of the game ops part of it with the no real sound going on during the game, which was a deliberate plan by the Knicks, which they did not really previously announce. So we go through that, and of course the game itself. Stephen Curry's return to form, if you will, Clay Thompson's good game, nice performance by the Knicks bench, and numerous other things. Conversations about 35 minutes, and is brought to you by Seeky, my personal go-to for both buying and selling tickets. And if you want to buy tickets using that, you can use the promo code LOWARRIORS for Locked On Warriors, and they will give you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. So you download the app, LOWARRIORS, $20, and hope you enjoy the podcast. Ready to talk about Warriors and Knicks. This was a, a fascinating game for a lot of different reasons. The Warriors ended up winning 112-105, and I guess it still counts as a matinee when it was at 3.30 p.m. Eastern instead of at 12.30. But, Jared, where I wanted to start with this was the distinct atmosphere difference in this game due to the Knicks' decisions in terms of game operations. Yeah. Uh, first, let me say I was very appreciative of the, 12, of the 3.30 start rather than the noon start that you get for a lot of Knicks Sunday afternoon home games. Um, I did not have to get to the arena at like 10 in the morning. I you know, got there at like 1.30, 1.45, which was you know, a much nicer experience on a, on a Sunday. Um, the in-arena experience was something nobody really knew about that was happening until shortly before the game. I found out about it after I went to the locker room pregame when I went up, went up into the media room, checked Twitter and saw that Frank Isola had tweeted out a screenshot of, you know, the Jumbotron at the Garden that basically said, you know, the first half of this game will be presented without music or in-arena entertainment or, you know, whatever it was, one other thing that was in there. Um, we don't, you know, we want you to enjoy the sounds of the game. And that was a big discussion amongst people that were sitting in the the area of the media section that I was sitting in, we were like, you know, does that mean they're not going to play music for pregame introductions? Is there not going to be Jumbotron segments during commercials? And both of those things wound up being true. There was no music for introductions, which was, I think, pretty awkward. There was nothing going on at all during commercials, which was also pretty awkward. And I think that it would have worked out better if it had not been an afternoon game because... Both teams played so terribly for the first like 15, 16 minutes of the game. And there was really nothing for anyone to cheer or jeer or anything about. You know, the, the Warriors started three for 11. The Knicks started one for 11. You know, both teams had like, you know, 22 points or something like that, almost like midway through the second quarter. Um, I think if the game had been played at a better quality to start 
rather than just like the last six minutes of the first half where both teams kind of really got going offensively and there was stuff to cheer about, I think it would have worked out better. You know, just in, in my personal opinion, I did still enjoy it. I thought it was cool. It was fun. It, I think, got people more actively engaged in the game when stuff was happening because they had to pay attention because there were no cues coming from the arena in terms of music or, you know, clap for defense or whatever it was. Um, most of the players that talked about it did not seem all that bothered by it. They also didn't know that it was happening, so it, caught, it kind of caught them by surprise. But Kristaps said that he thought it was weird and didn't like it. I would assume he's only played games professionally where there's been like music and stuff. And I actually had left before Draymond talked to the media because he was like sitting in his locker eating for a while before talking to the media after the game. And then the first thing I saw when I checked Twitter when I got home was that Draymond called it trash and embarrassing and nonsense and all this other stuff, which is not surprising in any way whatsoever. I wasn't totally surprised by by what what Draymond said. Of course, it's a very different experience for players, and the fact that they got blindsided by it certainly didn't help. But what was intriguing, and I would say imperfect about it to me, is that I've advocated for it more in games that are less kid-centric, just because I'm sure that helps keep them engaged, though, as you said, maybe it hurts their it hurts them actually watching the game as much. And this is a very kid-friendly game, you know, a 3.30 start on a Sunday. I always thought of it as being more of a weeknight thing, but I certainly, like, while I liked it due to my own personal preference, I can completely understand why players would be uncomfortable with it and why it's it's divisive. Like, that's kind of the idea. You're really changing it from the way things are. Yeah, Draymond basically came out and said, like, you know, you saw the game was terrible for the first, like, quarter and a half because everybody was just out of rhythm because they're so used to it. He was like, you know, when we go to the gym, we put on music because it helps you get into a rhythm. And, and that clearly, I think, was missing at the start of the game. Um, what did they say about it? on the broadcast. They didn't say a ton that I remember. I mean, I think they just kind of talked about it in general terms. I, I believe Stan or Jeff Van Gundy was relatively happy with it. But yeah, it was certainly it was certainly different in that way. But I thought the crowd was overall they seemed pretty engaged. I mean you pretty much have to be if there's nothing else going on. But also like going full bore like no introductions is is a little bit nuts, especially considering that. And also there's probably a happy middle ground in terms of maybe like organ music or something basic where it's like not it's not ever present but it's like periodically present. I don't know. They 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 did introductions. They just didn't have you know. Usually they'll play music like they they have like the intro song where the dancers are like dancing and they turn the lights out and there's you know this this Knicks song that they play while they're introducing the Knicks and you know they play you know standard visiting team music when they're introducing the visiting team like they still made the introductions they just didn't play the music or have like the Knicks dancers dancing before that okay um, I, think, I think the happy medium might be you know if, if you don't want to have the intrusive stuff during the game still have stuff during the commercials because that was like just like a dead time that nobody was doing anything and that was really awkward i thought you know i think you could make the justification to just let it happen during the game I think it might be better if it was like a closely contested, well played playoff game where you know the but the thing is you don't know before the game if the game is gonna be closely contested and well played. And it seems like the kind of thing that you have to plan out um in advance, although apparently they didn't, or or at least didn't let anyone know that they were planning it. Um the the timeouts thing, there not being anything going on was, was really awkward though, I thought. 
yeah, that's that's something that could be fixed. And it is strange to go from one extreme to the other, but at least now we have an idea of of what it's going to be. And yeah, you're right though that in in a more competitive game or like even where the fans are kind of prepared for it, I think it could it could go in a different direction because then maybe they get amped up for it. Like my idea with it was always actually to combine it with throwback jerseys and say it's like a like a throwback night or something like that because you could go in that direction with it, but instead of just making it making it a standalone gimmick. But again, there's no perfect way and and the other important essential part of this is that Nobody, you're never going to make everybody happy. So you can get improve it. I think there's a lot, there's a lot more that they could do to get it so that overall people are more satisfied with it. But people have different aesthetics. And like, I, I, I wrote on Twitter that like, I disagree with Draymond and people are like, oh, well, he's on the card. You're not. It's like, we're all entitled to our own opinion. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying that we disagree. Right. I mean, how did it come across on TV? Like, because obviously you can hear all of the music and stuff when you're watching games on TV. And at this point, we're, you know, we're so used to it that it's almost like background noise. You don't even notice it, except for some arenas. Like when you watch a game that's being played at the Barclays Center, it's literally impossible not to notice all of the music and noise. Most or of, Cleveland. Most, Cleveland as well. Most other places, um, it's not that noticeable just because you're so used to it. Was it jarring to hear a game played like that on TV? Because in, like in the arena, obviously, it's one thing. On TV, like, I don't know what I would have thought if I had just been watching it on TV. I don't talk about this much, but I watch a lot of games with the volume very, very low, just naturally. Uh-huh. That Because I don't I don't need a lot of that other stuff. If I'm watching intently, I don't need commentary. If I'm watching intently, like, I'll, I'll, I'll listen for crowd stuff, and, you know, sometimes I'll turn it up or down depending on the atmosphere. You know, like, for like for example, for the Warriors game in Oklahoma City on Durant's return game, of course, I had the volume high for things like that. So for me, it was very pleasant because I was able to do that without having to like really do that. You know, it was, it was kind of like there, but again, I'm different than most people. The people I interacted with, a lot of them seemed happy with it, but also understood why it would have been very weird in person. Yeah, I, I'm sort of the same way. Like if I'm taking notes on a game, I would say like 75% of the time um, doing that when with the game on mute. Uh, there are certain broadcast teams that like I want to hear what they're saying and what's going on. But if I'm just, if I'm just watching a game just to watch it, then I'll have the sound on because I want to be, you know, involved in the conversation and, and whatever's going on with, with people on Twitter. And so I could talk to, you know, my friends that watch the game. But um, I would imagine if you are someone that normally watches games without noise, watching a game without noise wouldn't be as jarring for you. Right. And yeah, it, so, so yeah, it all, it all does go together. And I, I think that it's it's great that we wanted to already before, beforehand. We had already talked about doing SeatGeek in this because this was an experience that you can't exper- get the same way. I mean, obviously, I watched on TV and and had my own thoughts on it, but you got to experience it in person, and that's the best way to do that. Unless you're lucky enough, like we are, to get a press credential, is through SeatGeek. A hundred percent, because what SeatGeek does, they make everything so easy for you. All you have, literally all you have to do is download an app and then like click a few buttons. And the the experience couldn't possibly be easier. And as a side benefit to that, they help you find the best ticket prices within your budget that will help you get better seats than you might normally be able to get within that budget. Right. And they do that by aggregating from from a bunch of different ticket sellers so you don't have to worry about going different places and by using their deal score, which tries to combine 
seat quality with price to say, hey, this is a this is a good price. Then you can evaluate, let's say, among the great deals to figure out which one is is within what you're looking for for seat location for price point. But it does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, and look, uh, a Sunday afternoon game between the Knicks and the Warriors at the Garden is going to be tough to get tickets to, and it's going to be expensive. And you know that's why you need to get some help with it so you can keep your price down and you can get good seats. And that's something that applies not just to a uh, you know a quote unquote marquee game like that, but for every game, no matter you know who you want to see or what city you're in. And it doesn't just work for games for basketball games; it works for football games, hockey games, literally anything else. For concerts, whatever you want to do. Right, and so another benefit you could just download the free SeatGeek app, S E A T G E E K, and then. A, a perk for both of our listeners, and you can use whichever one makes you happy. You you can go to the settings tab, enter a promo code, and if you're a, if you're listening to this through Locked On Warriors, you can enter the promo code L O Warriors, and you get a twenty dollar rebate on your first purchase. All you do is you buy tickets just like you would normally, and they just send you twenty dollars. And if you're listening through Locked On Next, you can do the exact same thing. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab. Click add a promo code and then enter L O Knicks. And then again, you will also get $20 back on your first ticket purchase. So that way you get not only uh, access to an app that I think both of us personally use and, and enjoy, but you get $20 back and you get to tell SeatGeek that you support our shows, either one, whichever one you, whichever one you support. Well, and yes. th- so that hopefully makes us, that hopefully makes them want to keep buying with us and keeps that, keeps that train rolling. But yeah, I mean, I think today is probably one of the best examples of a regular season game. <laughs> this, and there are a few others where the live experience is distinctly different. Oh, 100%. And uh, you look, I would imagine the TV experience was different too, but I can tell you certainly in the arena, it was a much different feel. And especially towards the end of that first half, I thought a much better feel because, you know, the fans were more engaged and they were the noise of the game, which was a really cool thing to experience while we were there. Well, that's the ideal, isn't it? You know, pretty much. 100%. Yep. Let's, uh, let's talk about the actual game. Uh, I guess we have to start with, you know, the Warriors, they snapped their two-game losing streak. Steph snapped out of his slump with a 6-for-8 third quarter. I believe he was 3-for-11 at halftime. And he was. He um, What really started it was uh, he drew Chris Stapps on a switch in delayed transition and sort of spun around him and flipped a layup up right before Chris Stapps could block it. And then I think he made four of his last five shots through the rest of the quarter in the last, like, three or four minutes of the quarter, including a couple of those, you know, where he'll, like, dribble around six, seven, eight times. He's dancing, dancing, dancing. And then all of a sudden, he's behind the back or between his legs while stepping back and, you know, the immediate imperceptible trigger into a jumper. Um, It was nice to see him snap out of that, whatever it was, three, four game rut that he was in. Um very typical, I guess, that it happened against the Knicks. You know, that happens with a lot of point guards against the Knicks. But it also, I thought, you know, brought some life back to the game because, nope, again, nobody played well for the first 18 minutes of the game. They, they played well in the last six minutes of the first half. But it was sort of like it was a close but not especially well-played game for the first couple minutes of the third quarter. And then Steph really got going, which I thought carried through the rest of the game. Everybody sort of played well in the third and the fourth. Yeah, it certainly had more energy overall. The flat start kind of evaporated. I was a little bit rough. Curry Curry was four of 13 in the first half. And I wrote in my notes that it was so surreal to have 
four of 13 and two of eight from three feel like an improvement, like a significant improvement because of where he had been in the prior games. The offense by and large looked good when he was on the floor. And what could have been the defining stretch in this game, had things turned out differently, is that beginning of the second quarter when the Knicks went on an absolute tear, partially because they were playing very well and partially because the Warriors absolutely could not score. Yeah, that the that stretch and the stretch at the start of the fourth, both of the you know the two stretches that Curry sat out, the Warriors' offense was was horrible. Clay was asked about it after the game. He was like, "Yeah, I don't know. Like that's that's a problem, and we need to fix it." Um, but that and it was the same lineup for the Knicks out there both times: Ron Baker, Justin Holiday, Kuzminskis, Kyle O'Quinn, and Porzingis. Or actually, I think at the start of the fourth, it might have been Hernan Gomez with Porzingis instead of Kyle Quinn. But either way, it was you know Baker, Holiday, Kuzminskis, Porzingis, and then one of the two big guys. And um, they don't, those don't necessarily seem like lineups that should be able to have a ton of success against the Warriors. But with nobody really out there creating for them, you know, usually they have like KD or Steph with the bench, and that at least they have one guy who's going to do a good job creating off the dribble. Um, they did not have that in this one, and, and you could really tell that they were struggling to get their looks. And on the other end, they just you know, the defense was not good in those two stretches. You know, Ron Baker was getting into the paint. Holiday was open a couple of times, and I thought in those two stretches, Kristaps that was when he did a lot of his best off the dribble work in terms of creating his own looks. Also, yeah, that's true. He he did have that. He also had a, a nice little bit at the end of the third quarter, but. The Warriors have gone to this Draymond anchoring the second unit. It was Durant early in the season. They made that switch around New Year's. And after Draymond actually had it was, had foul trouble both against the Cavs and the Kings at the end of 2016. And it, it can work sometimes, but it requires a lot of buy-in. Because especially when Klay Thompson is out, and he was out at the beginning of the second, but was not in the fourth. He basically played the whole fourth quarter. They need to just attack very relentlessly offensively and then they also need to like so basically just ball movement player movement and then defensively they need to be on the whole time and when they go flat like they did in this game they go flat but the Knicks deserve a lot of credit because they were being active they were pressing the advantage when it was created yeah if I think that this might have been Baker's best defensive game of the year um he's someone that you know people had I think high hopes for defensively based on the way he played in college and the way he played in preseason. But I thought, for the most part throughout the season, he's been really bad defensively. Like, not able to stop anybody at the point of attack. Um, you know, not athletic enough to stay in front of guys. I thought in this game, he played really well defensively, particularly in those two stretches um, at the start of the second and the start of the fourth. And that sort of pushed the Knicks into their offense on the other end because they were, you know, aggressively into their guys defensively because the point of attack defense was there which meant that nobody had to over rotate and then that helped them get rebounds and that helped them get out and transition so they could get not necessarily early offense shots but they could get into their offense earlier so that they didn't weren't running up against the shot clock towards the end of it um i, I thought that he was a really important part of that that second the two second unit runs and you know single game plus minus is pretty dumb for the most part but I thought it reflected the way he played that he was plus 10 in a game that they lost by by 7. Right, just like Curry being plus 22 in a game that they won by 7 was appropriate in, this, in almost exactly the same way. Right, and Baker, I mean, for the most part, he was out there when Steph wasn't. Um, 
but that's that's like half of his minutes. So he played, you know, sometimes when Steph was out there too. But, right. Well, yeah. and also one of the fun things about that first half was the Knicks had zero assists in the first quarter, and then they had seven in the second. Four of them were Kyle O'Quinn. And o- O'Quinn got the first one, which was what really got that run. I think they started the second quarter on a 13-2 to run, and that was the pass that really got them going. Um, I think he found Holiday in the corner for a three. It was, I think, the first assistant basket, if I'm remembering correctly. But he wound up leading the Knicks in assists for the game. He only played 11 minutes. Wow. It's incredible. But so, so uh, obviously our two teams are in different places at this point in the season. And I mean, you and I talk just off, off the, off the air a fair amount. And I was just wondering in terms of your own state of mind, is this kind of in many ways, just a satisfying result? Porzingis played better than he has against Draymond Green basically at any point during his career, ended up with 24 and 15. A lot of the bench players had nice games. And even, you know, Derrick Rose did well for the most part when he was out there, especially offensively. But the Knicks lost, which means that it helps their draft pick. Is that kind of, in some ways, is that the best of both worlds? Uh, Yeah. So one of my friends texted me that exact thing after the game. He was like, this was KP's best game in weeks, and the Knicks still lost. This is the perfect result. Um, Nice. I think I agree. Like, I thought it was especially good that he did, like, he had been so bad in three games against the Warriors, and Draymond just destroyed him in all three games. So for him to come out and be able to get to his spots, uh, you know, Draymond did push him off the block a few times, and there were a couple plays where, you know, KP still looked like, you know, the, the struggles that he had against Draymond in the previous three games. But for him to go for 24 and 15 against a guy who was giving him more trouble probably than anybody else in the league that he's played against was, I thought, a really good sign. And again, you know, I'm sort of sick of them talking about how close they are to the playoffs. Like, they're now five and a half games out of the eight seed and, like, two and a half games out of the four seed, or two games out of the four seed in the lottery, whatever it is. Um, they could stop talking about the playoffs. Like, that's it's not happening. It's better for them if they lose. Um, it's obviously better for them if they play well and lose. And, you know, you're right. Chris Sapps played well. It was, it was his best game in a while. It was his best game against his team in particular. Baker played well. Holiday played well. Uh, Hernan Gomez did not play well. It was his worst game in a while. You know, obviously, coming back from the injury, a little bit different. Um, Rose, like you mentioned, played well offensively. He got to the basket basically whenever he wanted in transition or in the half court. Uh, had a few assists as well. The thing that was strange was how uninvolved Carmelo was. He only took yeah. 12, twelve shots and two assists, and it's not like he got to the line a bunch. You know, there was some there was some double teams happening that he passed out of. Um, but for the most part, things were running through Rose, Baker, and Chris Epps. And uh, Carmelo was sort of a side participant, which is one of the strangest things you'll ever see in this game. He was, yeah, and, and like I'm, I'm sure some will point to the idea that he barely played in that second quarter. I think part of that was just because they were on such a run, and so you might as well not change it. But Melo had 60 touches in this game. That doesn't seem like that many for him. He played 35 minutes, so while that's less than he does sometimes, it wasn't ridiculously low. And he had two secondary, two assists, one secondary assist, and just wasn't the focal point like he has been so often. And I thought it was a little bit telling that the offense looked good, even sometimes when he was on the floor when he wasn't as involved. Yeah, I mean, look, they had one of, I would imagine, one of their better offensive games of the season. You look at their offensive rating was 113.4. That's, you know, top two offensive. Probably the Warriors are the only ones more efficient than that this year. Um, to have that good of an offensive game, obviously, you know, it's a little bit different. The Warriors haven't been playing as well. They didn't have KD. They were incorporating Matt Barnes. But, 
you know, for the Knicks to score that efficiently, especially by the way, they only hit seven threes. You know, they went to the line a bunch. They shot well from the field, especially uh, in in the paint. They got to the basket a bunch. A lot of that, I think, was there seemed to be to me like this was not a heavy triangle game. Like that's something that had, they'd been talking about recently. This was not one of those. It was a lot of like Rose and Kristaps high pick and roll. You know, Kristaps didn't necessarily get. The benefit of that, I thought Rose benefited more from it in terms of he was able to get to the basket because of the attention that Chris Epps draws. And then there was a bunch of, you know, Chris Epps would take that screen, roll himself into the post, or roll himself into the deep wing and get and get his touches there. But And, and then with the second unit, those guys were moving the, the ball well, especially in that second quarter. But it, I think you're right. You know, the, their offense did not look worse for the wear with Carmelo not being the focal point. And... I think that's something that is interesting to take into next year where, you know, I would imagine the Knicks roster is going to undergo a lot of changes this offseason. You know, who knows if Carmelo will be back or not. I think that that kind of showing shows you that if you have a point guard that's willing to attack downhill off screen and rolls, that, you know, even if Chris Epps isn't the the 1A focal point, just that action repeatedly running it, even if he's not the person that benefits from that action, can lead to good offense. I'm sure Warriors fans are nodding in frustration as well because running a more basic system would be conducive for them periodically. They they run, you know, more with ball and player movement. But I thought I, I just saw this as I was looking for some some mellow stats. A great encapsulation of how abysmal the early part of this game was. James Michael McAdoo ended up only playing three and a half minutes in this game, and it was all in the first quarter. So it's not, of course, fully representative. But when he was on the floor, the Warriors scored 58.1 points per 100 possessions, and the Knicks scored 50.8 points per 100 possessions, which is like half of a normal offense. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think, was he the first guy off the bench that I could do? Yeah, he was. And it w- which was also weird because he got a, he didn't play in the game before against the Bulls, and he was out there and he was, you know, fine. He was James Michael McAdoo. And then they brought in JaVale McGee, who was a little bit better. And then McAdoo never came in the rest of the game. Right. And McAdoo blew a transition layup, which I think is why he got pulled. Yeah. Might be part of it. I mean, granted, Pachulia does that all the time, but Pachulia brings other things as well. Zaza was, I thought, surprisingly involved in a lot of things when he was out there. Like he was getting the ball at the elbow, hit a few cutters. Like he hit, I think he had two assists and he hit Draymond twice for like, so he would, Draymond came on a cut sort of across the middle and both times he was fouled while trying to catch the ball and both times like threw it up. And those were his four free throws. They were both, mm-hmm. all, all four of them were on passes from Zaza that he was fouled while catching the ball and then just chucked it up. And both times got like the continuation, which I thought was interesting. Since it is a point of contention among Warriors fans, I figured I'd ask you since you got to see it in person. What did you think of Patrick McCaw in this game? He was like, see, to me, and I think we talked about this the last time we did a crossover podcast. I am more of an Ian Clark guy than a McCaw guy. To me, McCaw still seems like more a combination of skills than a basketball player. You know, I do understand the impulse to start him so that they could be ready uh, if they lose some bench guys next year because, you know, they've got Clark and Livingston and Andre that are all going to have to be either, you know, there or not based on, you know, what happens with Steph and KD and, and a few other factors. So they do need him to become a contributor. I'm just not sure I think that he's ready to be the contributor they want him to be yet. Does that align with what people are saying or is that the opposite? It's a little bit of both. I, th- I think there's more optimism that he will be a good player than that he is. 
right now. I think that's certainly fair. But what was concerning a little bit to me in this game, and it's been true off and on as he's been playing more with the starters since Durant's injury, that he's very, very passive in terms of his own shot. Like he'll pass off. Passive is not even the right word. He will actively avoid taking the shot. And, you know, that's... That's okay in moments and in spots, but if you do it consistently enough that the defense will respond to it, it's a problem. But I still like him defensively, even though I like him far more defensively on ones and twos. But I think he does a good enough job holding his own, being a smart guy, helping out, that he can provide value in, I guess, nominally the small forward position at some times as well. He passed up a couple of shots in this game that, like, he was open and people, like, were expecting him to shoot and did that, like, pre-shot gasp, like, oh, it's going up, and then it didn't, like, a couple of times. Actually, we were talking about him on the court before the game. I was talking to a couple of other people. I was talking to James Herbert and Kenny Dixie about him before the game. Is he 6'6"? Because he seems smaller. I think he's about 6'5", six, five, six, six, five, but also he's so skinny that I think he looks shorter than he is. It's just one weird thing, like when a guy is that slight, sometimes they seem smaller. That makes sense, because I thought, like, I was standing there saying, I was like, there's no way he's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, I think he's 6'4", but that could just be the slightness that you mentioned. Yeah, I think he's 6'5", if, if I had to guess, but I haven't, I, I haven't looked at him with that in mind in a little while, so I, I'm kind of going more from memory, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting with these two teams because I mean the Warriors bench could all change over. We we don't really know what's going to happen next year. But the, like the Knicks have a lot of guys that I think can play. It'll be an open question about whether they can move into larger roles. But at least having those kind of support players is a huge benefit for them as opposed to where they were like two years ago when they just didn't have NBA players at all. Yeah, I look, I would imagine that. A bunch of the guys are going to stick around, but I would also think that this will be like the fourth straight year where more than half their roster changes in the offseason, mm-hmm. which uh, is, a, is a strange sort of streak to be on, given how much teams around the league value continuity. Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting. And look, a lot of that hinges on Melo. If, if he goes, I would imagine way more than half the roster will change. Uh, if he stays, then, you know, maybe a bunch of these guys stick around, but, you know, you got to remember a bunch of them are on like one year deals. Like, I don't think Baker is signed beyond this year. Randall has a non-guarantee for next year. Uh, Holiday is a free agent this offseason. But, you know, other guys like Lee is signed, obviously, beyond this year. Lance, uh, Kuzminski, so Quinn, Hernan Gomez. You know, I, I would think those guys are all going to stick around. You know, maybe they'll get traded or something, but who knows. Um, one thing I was wondering from you, what did you think of Matt Barnes with the starting unit? He talked about after the game, um, you know, his defense is always going to be there. It's going to be the same no matter who he plays with. Um, it's a matter of figuring out where he fits in offensively. And obviously he's going to be that guy who's like the corner shooter, doesn't touch the ball much. And unless he's wide open, he's going to be counted on to move it. But it's still an adjustment to figure out when you're playing with new guys, especially a a group of guys that with Steph, Clay, and Draymond that has played together for, for so long and plays a certain way. Uh, you know, for him, it's it's an adjustment period. What did you think of how he looked with those guys? It looks like he's in an adjustment period. I, I think that he there's a place to to really give him some minutes if it's a small forward that the Warriors are uncomfortable having McCaw or one of the other perimeter guys out there, especially if they don't want to start Iguodala. And I understand that because they want the stability in the units where particularly when Curry's out. So Barnes is is asked to do something very different with the Warriors than he was asked to do in Sacramento or in a lot of his other recent stops because he has to move, make quick decisions, you know, take the shot when it's there, pass on it when it's not. And, you know, those basic 
concepts are there with a lot of other teams, but it's different with the Warriors, just with the activity that they have and the involvement. So I, I think it would have been better to give him a little bit more adjustment without it, especially because he's not going to be playing with the starters in crunch time, you know, in games that actually matter anyway. You, you're not trying to, you know, give him a trial by fire to get him ready for the playoffs. If he's doing those minutes in the playoffs, you're probably boned anyway. I, I do understand the impulse to be like, yeah, we're not going to let Pat McCaw try to guard Carmelo. Like, that's just not going to work out well for anyone. So I did understand it from that level. But Kerr said before the game, like, you know, we're starting that tonight. It could be different tomorrow. It will be different tomorrow. You know, I feel like this was a very specific, like, this is a big wing scorer that we're not going to throw McCaw out there against. And that's why we're starting Barnes. Exactly. And that's why I had no opposition to it. Because it made a lot of sense given the specific structure of this game and, and, and Mello's ability to just get hot and, and really start wreaking havoc on them. And depending on how Kerr feels about Andrew Wiggins, it probably will will be a little while until they have another guy where they really have to make that move. I mean, the, so they have Kawhi, they have Giannis in a little while. And I mean, that's, that's really about it. And for, for at least for a for a little bit, there just aren't that many small forward scores. There are some two guards, like they face the, they face the Rockets at some point. But I am going to be fascinated to see not only that, but see how he deploys David West, see how they use Pachulia and everything else. Because now it's it's a little bit more of a like a, a sandbox kind of feel for the Warriors rotation. Like there are certain key elements that all that will always be there, but it's going to be interesting to see how they approach this time. Yeah, that's again that's something he mentioned before the game too. Um, Having a starter out, especially you know a starter that's one of the handful of best players in the league, doesn't just affect the starters. It affects everyone. It changes when everybody plays, who they play against, who they play with. Um, obviously, they're not used to it this year with this particular team. Like, yeah, they played without Kevin Durant for years leading up until this year, but they you know you get settled into a rotation and a rhythm and who plays when, who plays with who who's going to be on the court against certain kinds of lineups. All of those things change when you remove one of the biggest components of that. And it's going to take, you know, I don't know, if this game and the fact that they played well for you know two and a half quarters means that they're now used to it. Like It's, it's still going to be an adjustment over the next few weeks. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Anything else from this game that you feel like we need to discuss? Not particularly. I mean, I don't think we need to talk about, like, one of Courtney Lee's worst defensive games of the year and, and how he kept losing Clay Thompson in the fourth quarter. Yeah, um, that, that that was part of what, what spurred Clay. There, it's it's weird. This happens with Clay with some frequency now. I, I've noted it as I as I go through quarter splits to work on my stuff for the athletic. So in this game, he had fourteen points in the first quarter and he had twelve points in the fourth quarter. So it's like, you know, so you have those those huge moments. They're they're certainly like kind of indelible, like big parts of this. But then he had, th- I think it was three and zero in the second and third. So like, yeah, I mean, some of that was Cordelia Dewey's defense, but that's that's kind of the nature of the Clay Thompson experience. Yeah, and you know, that's, it's a good thing to have when the explosions happen. And there are times where it's like, well, where's Clay? And some of that is okay because Steph is going off in the third quarter. And some of it is not okay because Steph went four for 32 from three across four games, you know? So it's like, uh, it's, it's a balancing act, but having that kind of binge score that can just take over a quarter is, uh, is a good thing to have on your side. I think. 
Certainly. And yeah, I, I don't think, I, I think that's about the, the last thing that we really have to go through since we talked about plus minus star Ron Baker. But yeah, this was certainly, certainly a fun game and an interesting experience. And thanks so much for taking the time to come on. Yeah, thank you for, uh, for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Jared Dubin for taking the time to come on. You can listen to him at Locked on Knicks. Does a very good job there. You can read his work wherever it gets published. It gets all over the place. I think he's done some good stuff for Vice and various other outlets recently. And you can, of course, follow him on Twitter at J-A-Dubin5. That's J-A-D-U-B-I-N-5. This was a really interesting game. I mean, I, I thought we we hit on a lot of the big notes of it. And Clay Thompson, I kind of got at this at the end, you know, him being huge in the first quarter, huge in the fourth quarter, and played some solid defense in the middle, but was not that present when the second quarter is really where he's going to need to get his bread buttered a lot of times for this team. But in this this second quarter, Kerr didn't play him the whole time. He was out for that first disastrous part of the disastrous first part of the second quarter. He came in and he got, a, I think he got a little better marginally, but still not great. So we'll see how that happens. Both the Warriors and Knicks, but more importantly, the listeners of this podcast, the Warriors play again tomorrow on Monday. Warriors head down to Atlanta to play the Hawks, who have, they had a tough loss today to the Indiana Pacers, but they've been playing pretty well recently, so that will be a challenge for them, of course, from Warrior Kent Bazemore, Dennis Schroeder, Dwight Howard, Paul Millsap, all-star, their best player, so there's a lot of different things going on. Millsap versus Draymond will be a big story for that game. Of course, there will be a Locked On Warriors podcast about that, so you can check it out. It'll come out, you know, at some point after the game. Personal reasons, I heartily enjoy the earlier start-specific times. It gives me a little bit more space to get everything done. You can also check out my work for The Athletic. My every players are up as I record this, and of course my game analysis will be up by the time most people listen to this podcast, so you can check that out as well at The Athletic. There should also be a new Dunked On Basketball podcast and a new Real Jam Radio with Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post going through the tiers of both the Western and Eastern Conference. We talk about Kevin Durant's injury, how that affects the West playoff picture, and, and a whole lot more, so you can check that out too. If you want to support this show or really any other show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choice, subscribe, download every episode. Those are great pieces of support. Also, you can really support this show by checking out SeatGeek. So you go to SeatGeek, which is their free app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K, and you go to settings tab, enter the promo code L-O Warriors, like locked on Warriors, L-O Warriors, and they'll send you $20 off your first purchase. We, Jared and I talked about it during the show. It is my personal way of buying and selling tickets. I, I mean that. It's the, it's the God's honest truth, and you should check it out as well. Also, as always, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, you can reach out to me, Danny LaRue, NBA, at gmail.com at Daniel Rue on Twitter. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I hope to respond. I do not make that promise. That's not the promise I'm making, but you can definitely check it out if you will. And of course, check out the other great work that all of the other Locked On podcasts are doing, Locked On NBA, all of the other Locked On teams, both NBA and NFL. And then Josh Lloyd does great work with Locked On Fantasy Basketball as well. And I believe they're doing draft materials. You can check that out as a Niners fan. The draft is one of the few things in the NFL I get to look forward to right now. So you can check that out as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Hey, Bay Area sports fans, this is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider.
This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.